Welcome to Behind a Confidence Smile. I am your host, Bianca Cotton, and today I am joined again by the beautiful Jaya Brown. Thank you so much for coming back. Of course. <laughs> today we are going to be talking about Pieces of Me, Jaya's story with searching for her birth family and becoming a mom. Okay, I hope y'all got y'all notebooks. <laughs> Jaya, again, thank you for being here and coming back to dig more into your story around being an adoptee and being on a journey for searching for your birth family. So tell us more about when you started to search for your birth family, like what sparked that? Mm-hmm. Well, first, thank you for having me back. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation, and I'm looking forward to today's discussion as well. So it was always something that was in me to search for my birth family from an adolescent, essentially, since I found out so young that I was adopted. But... I never had probably the courage to do it and also the resources. Like I didn't know what I needed to do. I didn't know the steps that I needed to take. When I was 18, my mom actually requested from the state my, it was called non-identifying information. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> because they couldn't share my like my full records, they provide, it was probably like five or six pages. I actually still have it in my, my journal. Mm -hmm. I keep it in my journal. But it told me stuff that I pretty much knew. Like told me my parents were both African-American, figured that. Um, but it also, you know, said how much I weighed and um, gave me a little bit more insight into basically just appointments, a couple of the appointments that I had with the doctor um, and that my mom. So one of the things that I knew early on is that my mother was on drugs. Mm. And so they referenced that in the records, too. So I'd heard it, but then I saw it actually in the records. Um, you know, that it was like a, a taste. It was like a little appetizer mm. at that particular time. But obviously, it's not a lot of information and so, you know, fast forward many years later, when I was actually on the mission trip in Haiti back in 2017, is what really, I would say, rejuvenated um, me and my interest in finding my birth family. In speaking with my fellow adoptee that I met on the mission trip, he really encouraged me. He talked about his experience and what he did to find his birth family and just how impactful it was for him to have some understanding of where he came from. Mm -hmm. And he was ultimately successful in connecting with his, his birth family fairly quickly, if I remember. So we got back from the mission trip and before the end of the year, I was requesting my records and I received them in 2018. And it was a lot. It was mm. like hundreds of pages. Oh, actually. Wow. Yeah. Like 
definite at least a hundred pages, I would say, of of records. How did that feel? One being encouraged to mm-hmm. pursue uh, learning more and searching for your birth family, mm-hmm. and also receiving hundreds of pages. In a word, overwhelming. And overwhelming with gratitude for the support that I had to take this next step. It was the support from my fellow adoptee, now friend, and also was the support from my father, my husband, and a small circle of friends that I shared that I was going to do this. And then also my oldest brother uh, I also shared. And I actually remember very consistent themes around the conversations that I had with them and over half of them, not even knowing what the other person said, were like, okay, well, if you find out, like, I'm going on the road trip with you. Like, we'll go to Memphis with you. And I just, I was overwhelmed by that, by that support. Especially, again, none of them knew what the other person said. They just all were individually stepping in to support me in the journey. So that was overwhelming. And then when I got the package in the mail, I remember just, I think I dropped. Like I was standing when I saw it and like flipped it over and saw my name and saw that it was coming from the state of Tennessee. And I remember just sort of dropping it to a chair, um, almost collapsing because I remember my husband um, kind of holding me and I just was bawling. I hadn't even seen anything at that point, but just the fact that it had been all these years that I wanted to get the records. And now I was about to open a package to reveal another piece of me. So, uh, so it was, it was overwhelming. <laughs> I can't only imagine. And from holding the package to you opening it, how long did it take you to start to read uh, immediately. Mm-hmm. So I probably, I can't remember every, like the full time frame, but it was certainly that day. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember like us getting, making us some tea and just sitting down mm-hmm. and I just like I emptied out the the envelope because there was so much in there. Like it was heavy. So I knew that there was a lot in there, but it was actually organized by pre-adoption and post-adoption. And I actually mm-hmm. didn't expect that I would have anything post-adoption. I didn't, I, I just didn't know that that was going to be part of what they shared with me. So yeah, we dug right in. We had papers scattered over the floor and we were both, me and my husband, Frank, like we were both looking through different, um, at, you know, different pieces of the, different um, pals of the the package of, of paperwork. So, yeah, it was, mm. <laughs> I was ready to dig right in. So as you were digging in, what caught your eye first? First thing that caught my eye was the name of my birth mother. Because I knew my name. I was told when I received the non identifying information, I knew that my name was Demetria Michelle Odom. When I 
open up the package or got to whatever page had my mother's name, her name was Judith Michelle Odom. So then that the immediate connection was she gave me her middle name. Immediate. Wow. So that over that again right. overwhelming. <laughs> But that was certainly the first thing that caught my attention. Mm-hmm. And and sitting with that mm-hmm. now, right? Mm-hmm. What five years, mm-hmm. four years later? How does that make you feel, knowing that your mother gave you her name? It's really special to me mm-hmm. to know that because, like we've talked about, the narrative that I heard well into adulthood was that she didn't want me. And so you don't necessarily give your name or even a piece of your name to something that you don't want. You don't mark something that you don't want. Right. right? Um, and and mark might be the wrong term, but you know what I, I mean. I understand you know? what you mean. Um, so that, and that's, I think, why it was so overwhelming when I read that, because I did pause at that moment and immediately said, she gave me her middle name. Right. So it, it was, it was, it was really special to me. It unraveled, we were starting to unravel the narrative that mm-hmm. had been spun for me. Right. The truth the is truth coming is out. coming out. What other truths did you discover The other truths were, well, consistent with the theme of she did want me in the records. It talks about the fact that for six months, six to eight months, I was with her and my family, my birth family. It wasn't stable. She didn't have the means to keep me. Uh, She was still out and about, for lack of a better term, because for all intensive purposes, what I pieced together was that she was a drug addict. Mm. So she wasn't completely present, but she was deliberate about keeping me in the family, which is documented in the records where the state actually is was the reason why I was actually placed into foster care. So they gave her a time frame to get get it together. Right. And she passed me to neighbors, to other family. Like I was in a state of transition for absolutely, I mean, if we're being honest, I was in a state of transition until I was full, formally adopted since I was in foster care after that, but I was in a state of transition for those first, call it eight months or so of my life because she was trying to keep me with the family but didn't have the means, the capacity. She just she just didn't have it. Um, and in the records, it also talks about uh, the question went to my, my maternal grandmother of keeping me, but apparently my maternal grandmother had just had a child too. So I apparently have a birth uncle that is not much older than me. Not to mention I have a sister who's not much older than me as well. So maybe two years older than me. So 
what I discovered is that my maternal grandmother was able to keep my oldest sister, mm-hmm. but didn't have, they just didn't have the means to keep me. Right. And so. she had just had a baby too. Exactly. So, um, so that was, so the truth, I guess that was validated was that she did want me and was trying to make it work, but did not have the means or the capacity or the resources right. um, to do that. Because you see financial records and everything. You see that they were um, they were on um, or getting assistance from the state. Like you mm-hmm. see that, like I, all of that is in these records. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really detailed. Yes, I did not. <laughs> I had no, I did, I had no awareness that that was going to be mm-hmm. part of the records. But um, that just sort of established the the case of it or, you know, again, gave me validation. So that was one truth. The other truth was that I had a sister and that was, um, that was confirmed as well. Um, I had heard it, but I was able to see, see that in the records as well. Wow. So as you're on the journey, right, this is 2018 Mm -hmm. of piecing uh, pieces of your life together. Mm -hmm. As you're reading and your husband is reading, mm-hmm. what comes to what came to mind for you in that time period? Like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> that's exactly you're exact. That's exactly it. That's uh, okay. I have names. Like, what can I do? Part of the affidavit um, documentation that you you sign in making this request to the state is that you are agreeing not to reach out to the family uh, or make any sort of contact until the state has done their due diligence and they have attempted to contact. There was like a contact request sheet in the, the forms and it gave me the opportunity to list who I would like to have contacted. Now, I don't know who's alive. I don't know. I don't know who my father is. Still don't to this day. But like, I didn't know who to really put down. But I thought, let's start with my mom and my sister. Because, again, I knew that they were, they existed. Right. Um, Whether or not they were still here or not. So... It was like, what do I do now? But also knowing, like, I'm a bit restrained. I cannot contact them, but I could look people up. Right. We had the internet. internet. (laughs) So I was in this cycle of, like, searching and Googling their names and trying to see could I find them on. I'm not even on Facebook actively, and I was, like, on Facebook to see if I could see them. I type in all different combinations of their names And I was coming up empty. I was coming up empty-handed. I didn't find anything. It was not until 2019. It was 2019. Start of 2019. When I, I was taking a nap. I don't know what I was dreaming about, but I woke up with this urge to Google my mother's name. Now, mind you, all this entire time, at least once a week, I'm thumbing through these records. I'm journaling about my emotions. I'm talking with my therapist about 
how it's making me feel and what I want to process and all of that. I'm talking to my husband. And so it's my friend, you know, the, the friend circle, you know, so it's top of mind and it's at the forefront. And I'm very much interested in making the connections and all of that. But again, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear. Well, so I woke up from my nap and I decided to Google my mother's name and I Googled her name and her obituary came up. Mm. And before that, it hadn't come up, but she actually is what this is wild to me. We took my oldest to Memphis for summer break before school started. We went in August, the end of August. The obituary shows that my mother passed away on August 3rd of 2018. Mm. Exact same year, same month that we were in Memphis, which is where I was born. And I don't know what I sounded like because it was an out-of-body experience, but I do remember hearing like footsteps quickly my husband, we talked about it later, he was rushing down the stairs because he heard me like wailing. I was just sobbing and crying and it was never matter. Don't know what she looks like. But in that moment, I'll never get to say to her directly, thank you. Mm-hmm. I'll never be able to look her in her face and search to see me. Yeah. I I don't know if I look like her. I don't know what characteristics I share with her. I don't know what she sounds like. But I will say there's something about getting those records and being able to have the narrative shifted for me in a very positive way to know that I was loved, to know that I was wanted, to have that revelation for me before seeing the obituary because I was in this space of gratitude from the moment that I read that information in those records. So instead of it being you didn't want me, which was what I felt for most of, you know, all of my childhood, right? Even right? In, into my adulthood, adulthood, right? Instead of that being what I felt, bitterness, um, and I had to process all of those because those were all real emotions that I had because of the narrative. All of those were replaced with these positive sort of freeing emotions so it's all bottled up and then I get the obituary and it's it's devastation but it's also like it would have been so different if I hadn't known that she actually did want me right right so now my prayers and my conversations with her Mm. is with gratitude. Right. 
It's, it's with a relief. It's a relief. It's <laughs> it's relief. Relief knowing the truth, mm-hmm. and that can help you heal mm-hmm. on your journey. Yes. Oof. Right. <laughs> and you didn't say relief, and relief is my theme for this year. Yes. So yes, it. Yes. Mm. Yes. So in the midst of this critical juncture in your life. Mm-hmm. I want to incorporate your motherhood journey, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. At this time, your daughter was maybe five. Yes. Your oldest daughter of maybe yeah. five. Mm-hmm. How did you getting your records, learning that you were loved, mm-hmm. impact your motherhood journey? Mm-hmm. So I was very intentional about making sure that the stuff that was on me, the stuff, the, the trauma, you know, <laughs> yeah. I really wanted to do the work to not pass that on to her. I wanted her, she and I, to have a positive, honest, trusting, loving relationship as mother and daughter. And I made that decision very early on before she was even a thought. And so... I remember just sharing joy with her mm-hmm. in finding out this information and being able to tell her some of the things that I knew. Now, I don't have all the pieces, right? I don't, right. don't know all the things, but I was able to share this was your grandmother's name mm-hmm. and this was your great-grandmother's name. And, you know, remember I told you I was born in Memphis and like, I, you know, I was able to share some thoughts with her. So it further inspired me to continue to just build a great relationship with, with my daughter. That's good. Right. So that's good. Yeah. As we wrap up this beautiful conversation, what is your message to your fellow adoptees mm-hmm. who may who may fear even pursuing searching for their birth family? So one is to absolutely assemble your village. If your village is a therapist, (laughs) assemble the village. Right. If your village is family and friends, assemble them. Because I remember that being advice that I received on that evening in Haiti, that you want to make sure that you pour into yourself as much as you can before you embark on this journey because it's going to have ebbs and flows as has absolutely been the case. The other advice is do it, like pursue it. Like it, it is going to uncover a lot of emotions, but also a lot of insights for you. I do not regret making the decision to request my records And I'm still on the journey 
you know, I know about my mother as far as like where she is, but I I have a sister that I'm searching for. I have a maternal grandmother that I'm still searching for. I'm not going to stop until, until right. I'm not going to stop. And then the last thing I would say is find a way to just continuously remind yourself and encourage yourself as you pursue that journey. My youngest will be one next month. And I was intentional. We were intentional about naming her. And I felt it was really important for me to pass down my middle name that I shared with my mother. Mm. Her first name is Aya, which is sign from God or miracle, which that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Her middle name is Michelle. Oh. So that is a reminder to me every single day. And it's interesting because God said, as much as I was concerned about having a daughter because of the relationship that I had with my adoptive mom and because I did not meet my birth mom or know my birth mom, God gave me two daughters. Mm. So I have two daughters to pour into and to build the relationship that I have always wanted. So it is rewarding to go through the experience. Despite the challenges, I encourage anybody who wants to start that journey to just start it. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your heart with us and the hard times and the encouraging moments and the wailing moments. That's all a part of pieces of me, right? So thank you. Thank you again. Thank you.